Hi, and welcome to episode eight of the Conservation Crossroads podcast. My name is Carla Archibald. And I'm Rachel Friedman. And today we're talking about our closest relatives, the great apes. Great apes are a group of primates, including chimpanzees, bonobos, and gorillas in Africa, and their hairier cousins, orangutan, in Southeast Asia. All of these great apes are either endangered or critically endangered, and despite the close relation with humans, we don't seem to be too good at sharing space. Orangutans, for example, call Indonesia home. But so do 261 million people. And demand for resources like timber, minerals, metals, and palm oil put considerable strain on forest habitat across the islands, which affects a lot of the wildlife in this biodiversity hotspot. We sat down for a chat with a researcher from the University of Queensland who is studying how oil palm production impacts orangutans in Borneo. Hi, my name is Courtney Morgans. I'm a PhD student with the Centre of Excellence for Environmental Decisions. My research focuses on evaluating the effectiveness of the different strategies we use to conserve the Bornean orangutan. Just to set the scene, how many orangutan are there at the moment? Very good question. Say at the moment there's about 100,000 okay. and they've recently been upgraded to uh, critically endangered due to yep. the rate of life. So you haven't seen any orangutan yet? I saw some oh, in, you did? Yeah, in the Kinabatangan in Sabah. Um, and it was amazing and so brilliant because they've got obviously they're one of the most difficult animals to study in the wild and it's immensely like, incredibly difficult habitat to traverse and find your way through and so uh, Hutan, an environmental NGO that works over there have um, dedicated field biologists and trackers that spend their time tracking focal individuals for behavioral and ecological research Say the biggest threat is habitat loss, and there's a few drivers for that. So mostly it's due to industrial uh, agriculture expansion, so oil palm in particular, but also timber and pulp and paper. Um, Hunting is also a really big threat, and that can be hunting for foods, hunting for the illegal wildlife trade, and also human wildlife conflict. Mm. Courtney, you mentioned palm oil as a threat. But a report from the Roundtable on Sustainable Palm Oil found that 21.7% of oil palm concessions have not actually been cleared yet. So what does this mean for the orangutan and conservation? Absolutely. Sustainable management of the concessions that haven't been deforested yet is probably the most important thing that we can do to conserve the existing orangutan populations. I think since that paper's come out, there's been a moratorium on... Uh, the establishment of new concessions, mm-hmm. so deforesting already existing concessions, mm-hmm. and that's mostly in the response to the big um, fire events that they've had in 2016. Yeah, yeah. So, who are actually the major players, sort of setting the stage, setting for the agenda? Yeah. The agenda. Um, so, the two range states in which the orangutan are found, Indonesia and Malaysia, um, ultimately set the agenda. I guess, as with any national government, they're kind of charged with finding a balance between um, ensuring the strength of their economy, uh, the health and well-being of their citizens, whilst also protecting their biological assets. So it's a difficult balancing act for those guys. After that, I'd say probably industrial agriculture firms um, play an important role. And then, uh, like particularly on a local level, um, as well as many conservation and wildlife organisations. So this seems like it gets really complicated. 
Courtney's recently published some of her research which maps out the key players involved in Bornean orangutan conservation. With my analysis I looked at um, collaboration between conservation organisations alone, so sort of just that one stakeholder group mm. that is involved in, in this kind of planning. Are there many? 60. So there are over 60 organisations just in Borneo. in Borneo. Actually, in, not even in Borneo, in Kalimantan alone oh, um, and they may be international organizations that you know say organizations based in Australia or the UK or the US that channel their money towards Borneo and towards certain programs but yeah uh, 60 organizations working in that sphere which is quite a lot of groups um, they work together quite often and they work together well particularly when it comes to exchanging um, information and knowledge um, but better results probably could be achieved if these collaborations were managed in a bit more of a strategic and targeted way. Um, so for example, some organisations may be able to achieve better outcomes if they were working on one project with one other organisation rather than multiple projects with multiple people, sort of strategically allocating their efforts to a single project rather than being spread thinly over yeah. many. Courtney gave us a glimpse into the world of orangutan conservation in Indonesia and some of the organisations involved. But as a rather charismatic set of species, the great apes as a whole are the focus of a wide range of conservation efforts, including the only species-focused program of the United Nations. The Great Apes Survival Partnership, or GRASP, is a collaboration between over 100 national governments, conservation organisations, research institutes, UN agencies and private companies. To get a better sense of the bigger picture, we spoke with the director of GRASP, Dr. Johannes Riefisch. Yeah, my name is Johannes Riefisch. I'm the coordinator of the Great Apes Survival Partnership. The Secretariat is hosted by the UN Environment Programme. We are based in Nairobi, Kenya, at the UN Environment Programme's headquarters. I'm a trained ecologist and have always been working with primates. When people think about working with great apes, it's usually somewhere out in the bush doing ecology fieldwork. So why is an international organisation like the UN interested in great ape conservation? Because obviously gorillas don't have passports. <laughs> often protests do, but they still cross the border. So a lot of um, cross-border issues, not even mentioning climate change. Um, often countries have very different histories if you compare Kujiva, which was colonized by the French, and then you compare it with Liberia, you have very, very different systems and a very different history. But it's it's the same landscape. Mm -hmm. So you have the same forest. Um, even even the community speaks sometimes speaks the same language. Okay. It's just that it happens that there's a political boundary in between. So we have to find ways to ensure that, that landscapes keeps its integrity. I just think that the world is changing rapidly. I mean, we still have a, a growing human population and in many parts of Africa we have a, a rapidly growing human population, but also the, the planet needs more, more space and more resource because of more people and more development. So there's an enormous pressure on the great ape habitats and we're losing great ape habitat on a daily basis. And, and we feel that it needs some kind of a holistic integrated land use planning process where you look what are the important areas for great ape conservation and you try to find ways to exclude those from development. But of course we understand that development is necessary. Countries have a right to develop. Um, 
even the um, developed world needs resources. So there has there has to be a smart way of um, yeah, reconciling development and conservation, and also making sure that the local people see the benefits. So historically, we've used protected areas for conservation. Has this worked out for the great apes, or do we need to start thinking a bit more outside of the box? I, I, I think, um, let's say protected areas is one conservation tool. Mm. Um, we generally, generally, I mean, when you look at, um, at Africa, we also have the orangutans in Asia, but probably 50% of the great apes exist outside protected areas. Okay. So um, if, we, if we focus all our efforts only on protected areas, um, there's a higher risk that we that we um, end up with isolated and fragmented protected areas where there's no migration between the different sites, and that can lead to all the negative, all the negative impacts, including reduced gene flow between populations and all this. So we need to look at landscapes, and we need to make sure that there are different levels of protection. There can be community forests, can be national parks, can be um, government-run reserves, can be even community reserves or community-managed areas. Beyond government-protected areas, community and private conservation are things that Rachel and I spend most of our days thinking about with our own research. But how do you think that these types of conservation models can contribute to great ape conservation? It's, a, it's important that, I mean, at the end of the day, I think, yes, um, we, we have to work at a higher political level because even uh, the community can do a great job, but if the government decides to give out a a petroleum concession and uh, it, it very very easily can become history but we also need to to have the buy so if you have a situation where wildlife um, gets out of the protected area or community managed area destroys um the fields and the harvest there's a problem sure. so um yeah we need to buy in from the local they need to see clear benefits of keeping wildlife on their ground Saving great apes is a pretty hefty task, no? Not only do we have to think locally about how different types of organizations work together, but also how this translates across borders. Yeah, grass plays a pretty key role in coordinating what would otherwise be really disjointed conservation efforts. If you want to keep in contact with the podcast team, or you want to suggest episodes, please send us a tweet using the hashtag ConservationCrossroads, and we'll also put a link to all of the projects and researchers in this episode in the bio. We look forward to tackling the next big issues in conservation with you, and we'll be exploring paths forward from this conservation crossroads.